from our studios in New York, Chicago, and the United Kingdom. This is Rail Group On Air's special podcast series, The Coronavirus and the Rail Industry. Hello, everyone. Bill Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Track and Structures Magazine. And welcome to another edition to our special podcast series, The Coronavirus and the Rail Industry. In this episode, I talk with William C. Vantuono. He is the Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. A little bit of a warning here. We tried a new app during this podcast, and it worked out great on William C. Vantuono's side, but it did not work out very well on my side. When I do talk, it is a little bit staticky. You can still make out what I say. Uh, That is still very clear. However, it is a bit of annoying, and we do apologize for that. Something that we will certainly work on for our next podcast. But please enjoy this podcast. A lot of great information about the coronavirus and the rail industry. The latest updates from RTNS and Railway Age magazines. Thought we would do a, another joint podcast. A lot of things have happened since our last joint podcast. How you doing there, Bill? I'm doing fine. Uh, it's uh, kind of windy here in uh, in New Jersey. It's, even though you know you're in Chicago, Chicago is a windy city, but it's windy here in Monmouth Beach. It was windy here yesterday. It was very gusty. So you got our you got our weather yesterday. You got that now. So thanks for sending it over. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about, I want to open things up here because we, we touched on this issue the last time we were together and it was, it dealt with construction uh, during COVID-19. And at the time, the last time we talked about it, the city of Boston basically shut down all construction activity. They said, you know what, we're, we're not going to take any risk here. We're just going to shut down all construction activity. doesn't matter which type, it's all going to be shut down. Well, since then, Sound Transit has shut down most of the construction uh, in its region. And they they sent a press release out. I'm going to read you some of the press release here, and then we can talk about it a little bit. It said, due to COVID-19 risks, Sound Transit is directing contractors to suspend almost all construction on its transit expansion projects across the region. The very limited work that does continue will focus on tasks considered critical and or necessary to ensure that all sites remain safe and secure and or to avoid mobility, environmental or other impacts. This work will move forward only under appropriate safety measures, including additional worker training and increased monitoring of updated safety plans. So that's that's a portion of their press release and I've talked to a few other transit agencies this week, specifically asked them about this, and all of them, you know, all of them have the typical response: yes, we have crews out there; yes, we're monitoring sites. But my question is, how often are they monitoring these sites? Are they going out there once a day and making sure social distancing is there, making sure other safety measures are there to prevent the spread? Or are they going multiple times a day? I, if I had to guess, if I had to guess, and I'm I, in no way am I trying to 
harp on the transit agencies or bring them down, but I'm thinking the way things tend to work, I'm thinking that they go out there once a day, make sure things are going okay, and that's a wrap for the day. And then they're not out there again until the next day. Um, what's your thoughts on this, Bill? Well, most of the uh, of the work on, uh, if we're talking about uh, construction uh, on on new new projects, expansion projects, uh, most, if not all, of that work is carried out by contractors. Uh, and of course, the, under these under these contracts, and it depends upon the kind of contract. Uh, uh, if it's uh, a lot of these uh, transit pro rail transit projects are are P3s where they're public-private partnerships where they're, they're, uh, they come under like design, build, operate, maintain. So it is, the, it is the contracts and the engineering, the contractors and the engineering consultants who are responsible for, for the work crews. So it would be up to them uh, to, to make sure that the, uh, the guidelines are followed. Now, this can get kind of complicated because if the if the work is stopped due to due to a state order uh, under certain conditions, how does that affect the the contractual relationship in terms of payments to to the uh, let's say it's let's say it's a it's a consortium of uh, an engineering contractor of a, 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 a general design program management all those things that go into building. A, uh, a rail transit uh, um, expansion, um, and the payments are are generally from the agency to the to the consortium. Are, are they structured? Uh, there are penalties for uh, for late delivery. There there are project benchmarks which have to be met. So it it, it gets kind of complicated. So we're the, the the question is, I think, Bill, not not so much how 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 much are these uh, uh, guidelines, you know, these social distancing guidelines uh, uh, being monitored. I, th I think it's how does how does this uh, affect the the uh, the structure, the schedule, the contractual relationship. Um, as I said, <laughs> I imagine it's it's pretty complicated. You know, how forgiving uh, are the, are the uh, uh, the consortium is going to be if they've got a project, they've got a delivery schedule. Um, there's uh, there's lots of things that go into it. Um, it's uh, it's complicated <laughs> in, in, well, in simple terms. Yeah, it, it's a complex process, and I I agree with you that you know some of these are private consortiums. Uh, you know, contractors are separate from the transit agency. They're doing work for the transit agency. They should be responsible for their own personal protection equipment and whatnot during this pandemic. But the transit agency is still the owner. You know, they still are the owner of the project. So I still think that right. they do play a role. Oh, of course, yes. You know, to make sure all this is followed. And I would, you know, we're in a COVID-19 world. So I would think that, you know, you talk about payments and schedules and all kinds of stuff. I, I mean, everything's being changed on the fly. So I would think that, you know, scheduling should be changed. Um, you know, whether they pay the contractors during this postponement, I don't know, but uh, definitely you have to be, 
you know, you have to have some reflexes here. You have to have some flexibility, um, you know, because no one, certainly no one asked for this. No one expected it would, it would be this way, but you have to give the contractor some leeway there. And the other problem we have here is contractors are having a hard time getting some supplies because of COVID-19. That is true. Um, the other, the other thing that uh, that needs to be uh, taken into account is, uh, as we know, there is twenty four point nine billion dollars available to transit, uh, rail, rail and bus, all modes of transit. But uh, I would think most of most of those funds would go to rail projects since they they are they are the most costly. But those fund those extra funds uh, that are on top of uh, of what the uh, what a transit agency would receive under normal FTA uh, appropriations uh, and state and local appropriations, those funds uh, have to be utilized toward things that are directly impacted by COVID-19. So you cannot use those funds to, to pay, uh, to continue to pay a, a contractor to build an expansion project because that expansion project is not regular service that's been impacted by, by, the, uh, by the pandemic. Um, so yeah, I agree with you totally, Bill, uh, that, that there, there has to be some sort of uh, flexibility uh, there. There has to be, uh, this, 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 is, this is nobody's fault, you know? Yeah, and I, and again, I've talked to other transit agencies too, and and that's that's pretty much the route that they are taking uh, regarding their projects. Things have slowed down a little bit, um, and you really can't expect the builder to hit any kind of milestones, um, you know, as of as of right now. So, and then and then uh, just uh, one thing I'd like to add, Bill, is is uh, and and this is an unknown, okay, but I think it's. It's fairly reasonable to uh, to to uh, to feel that life is going to change. Okay, after this is after this is all over, and a, a lot of industry observers, uh, a lot of industry observers, are saying that we, meaning the general public, may not return to their regular commuting routines. Uh, use, using using trains and buses to uh, uh, to get to the office because they've been working at home, and and if that works, uh, it, it you know it may continue. So that <laughs> that throws a whole monkey wrench, I think. I think into the uh, uh, not not so much the the, the viability of uh, uh, of transit. I think may, hopefully the 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 outcome will be that. That people will be uh, if they're if they're working from home, they're not going to be driving. They'll leave their uh, they'll be home. They'll they won't be out on the roads. But if they have to commute, they're going to use transit. That's what that's the hope. But we won't know that for a long time. That's a hope, and you bring up a good point because during recessions, as you know, transit agencies tend to struggle because people out of are out of work. You know, you don't have the the same volume in terms of workforce. So if more people are going to be working from home following COVID-19, uh, it could be an ongoing recession for these transit agencies. I don't think it will be like a 2008, 2008 recession, but it could be a, you know, a moderate recession, if you think about it. Yes, absolutely. 
but uh, we'll have to see how things shake out. So well, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's stay on the PPE topic uh, just a little bit longer here, because uh, one of the other things I would like to bring up is, you know, in the very beginning, the Center for Center for Disease Control was not suggesting that people wear masks. And again, this is such a flexible situation. Everything's changing every day. Now they're, they're saying yes. Uh, you know, it is, might not be a bad idea to wear a mask. Um, maybe you can, I mean, I'm, I'll comment on both transit and freight. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure freight is, is taking the necessary measures. I, I would like to assume that all workers are wearing masks. Um, on the transit side, I think it was kind of a slow response to it because they were only following the CDC guidelines. So yes. at the beginning, mm -hmm. they weren't, or, you know, operators weren't wearing masks because the CDC was saying, well, you know, it doesn't work. It, there's, there's, you know, there's no, you can't prevent yourself from catching COVID-19 with a mask. But now I see transit agencies starting to say, okay, well, let's, let's use the mask. But as you know, there is a shortage of PPE out there at this point. So my, I'm wondering how, especially transit agencies, maybe not so much on the freight side, because I think freight was, was well ahead of the game here. But with transit agencies, how are they going to properly equip their train operators? Uh, because as you know, masks are a hard commodity to come by, and these transit agencies don't have big money to play the black market to try and get a million from, say, China. Well, we've seen this, uh, sadly, in, in New York City uh, with the New York uh, Metropolitan Transportation Authority, where almost 50 workers uh, have have uh, have died uh, that contracted the virus uh, um, and 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 died uh, and there are many many more have been infected uh, and that's causing that's causing uh, uh, now that's causing delays uh, major delays on on the subway system because they don't uh, there are a lot of people in quarantine where they don't uh, they don't have enough operators to run the trains now the uh, the union uh, the the uh, transport workers union uh, got very vocal about this about two weeks ago and uh, um, the the MTA uh, immediately responded and with 75,000 masks and uh, the same day that uh, that that Pat uh, Foy the chairman uh, revealed that that he he had been infected uh, uh, but uh, for some I think it was a little bit uh, uh, a little bit too late in coming now we don't know for certain if those workers uh, who have been infected were infected on the job, uh, you would think yes, but but they may have been they may have been infected elsewhere off off duty. But nevertheless, uh, they are they are receiving masks now. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure how uh, how well if they have enough of them. Uh, there's uh, there's a as you said uh, there's a general shortage. Everywhere and, and in New York, the uh, healthcare workers are, are scrambling to uh, the hospitals, uh, uh, emergency emergency responders, and police. You know, they're they're firefighters. They're they're scrambling to get enough uh, enough PPE. So it's uh, uh, it ain't pretty, <laughs> as they say in the Big Apple. No, it's and again, you're you're at ground zero there, the epicenter, and um, things aren't quite as bad in Chicago. Thankfully, but uh, let's 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 shift a little bit here and let's talk about funding. Uh, I wanted to bring up 
you know, there is talks of another stimulus package being generated out of Washington, D.C. And I know that um, early signs are showing that Trump wants, and I think he has people in Congress also agreeing with him, he wants this stimulus package to be focused on infrastructure. And let me put on my road and bridge hat for just for one second, because that was really my background for 20 years. And because everyone's working from home, the gas tax receipts are way down right now. And mm -hmm. that's really what provides much of the funding for that and just general funds Yes, mm -hmm. for road and bridge work. So I guess what I'm wondering, and I know APTA and, and tra transit agencies, they're all putting their word in, they're all putting their, their claim in. They, I think they need, they need another shot in the arm uh, financially. And, you know, 24.9 billion was nice, but if this is going to last longer, I, I think transit and railroads need to be in that conversation again. So I guess my hope is that, I mean, other than Amtrak, and maybe you can get into to Amtrak a little bit, but I mean, obviously Amtrak needs to be funded, but other than Amtrak, you know, we need to also fund our transit agencies and perhaps freight railroad and help them out as much as possible with this next stimulus package. Hopefully it's not gonna be just focused on road and bridge construction. Well, in terms of the freight railroads, uh, Bill, uh, they, the freight railroads uh, are, are not going to uh, accept any, uh, any federal assistance, uh, except they, the only federal assistance they really, uh, they have accepted is not in monetary form. It has to do with uh, some relaxation of work rules and uh, inspection procedures and also if employees are, uh, are, are laid off, it, it expedites the process for, for them uh, qualifying for, uh, for, un for, the, for, for unemployment insurance, which, which comes under, I believe, comes under the uh, uh, railroad retirement and, and not Social Security. That, that's where the funding for that is derived. Um, the, the, uh, if there are, if there are there are uh, public-private partnerships uh, for, for the freight railroads where uh, for building things like ports and intermodal terminals and uh, tunnel clearances, things like that. But those, but that, though, again, those are, those are expansion projects. Uh, um, it's, they're, they're private companies, they're fiercely private companies, and, and accepting any federal funds uh, would, would, put them, uh, would put them in a very, very tenuous position uh, be, because then they would be almost obligated. Uh, they would open themselves to possible more uh, additional uh, regulation. Uh, deregulation or partial deregulation was so successful back with the Staggers Act in 1980 uh, and anything that would, that would uh, uh, retreat to, to a, a position that's uh, pre-Staggers is not gonna fly and, and the, the railroads will, uh, will, will, will fight that tooth and nail. And of course, they, they're, they're private companies, they own uh, and maintain and invest in their own infrastructure, they, they pay taxes on it. Um, so again, uh, it's, it's uh, the assistance that they're going to uh, accept. Uh, uh, and, and the AAR and the Shortline Association were a big part of this uh, with, with petitioning the FRA for, these, for the uh, uh, emergency waiver. Uh, but that doesn't have anything to do with, uh, 
fund with, with, with funding. What about, what about short liners? Same thing for them or are they a little different? Well, they're a little different. Uh, the, again, they're, they're private companies. Um, they, the, for the short line industry, the class two and class three regional and short lines, uh, there is a there is a program uh, called 45G, which is part of the tax code, which uh, which gives them a tax credit. I think it's 50 cents on the dollar uh, for investments made in their infrastructure to uh, to to handle, for example, uh, heavy haul uh, traffic, uh, the the freight cars that are uh, the the standard now, which is 286,000 pounds gross rail load. Uh, older track on, on some of these uh, some of these uh, smaller railroads bridges that need that need to be shored up um, and you could say and this also applies to contractors doing work you could you could make the argument that uh, that the um, the short lines and regionals uh, under this 45g act would be able to accept additional funding because the freight railroads are considered essential industry, uh, uh, an, an essential industry al along with the class ones and their employees, all railroad employees, freight railroad employees are considered um, essential. So yeah, it's a little, I think there's a little more wiggle, wiggle room there for, the, uh, for, for our smaller carriers. Another news item that struck me, and you, you guys actually wrote a story about this a couple of days ago. I copied that and threw it on mine, uh, my website there, is um, the Association of American Railroads. I guess they're starting to say that, well, the freight class ones in general are starting to say that they're starting to feel the effects of COVID-19. I believe rail traffic is down, correct me if I'm wrong, 15% compared to this time last year is that is that correct somewhere yeah, around there uh, yeah looking looking at the um uh looking at the numbers uh it's uh the 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 hurt the pain is beginning to inflict itself uh, at least the uh the, the the traffic figures of course come out a week or so a after the actual uh uh, uh traffic is, is is rolling um, as a week ending April 4th, 2020, U.S. weekly rail traffic was just over 429,000 car loads and intermodal units down 15.9% compared with the same week last year. Total car loads for this week were just over 210,000 car loads down 16.2% compared with the same week in 2019 while U.S. weekly intermodal volume was just over 218,000 containers and trailers down 15%, 15.7% compared to 2019. Yeah, that's a serious hit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you have to look at it in terms of individual commodities. So uh, for, for, for the U.S., uh, uh, yeah, those, those figures that, 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 that you cited, um, uh, it's, uh, what was the figures you were citing? Was that, was that, uh, was that us rail traffic bill or was that, uh, North American or, uh, I believe it's, it's us, us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, individual, uh, commodities, the only, um, the only growth is in, is in chemicals and, um, 
well, other, I'm not sure what's included in other, <laughs> other, I guess, uh, petroleum and petroleum products, but uh, everything else across the farm products, of course, grain and food is uh, food products. That's up 1.6%, but everything else is, um, is, is down with, uh, with coal as expected uh, as it has been uh, being the worst. And now you have oil. Oil is down because yes. less people are, I mean, yes. you know, less people out there traveling in their cars, mm -hmm. so less gas mm -hmm. is being purchased. Yeah. So now you got oil taking a hit. Yeah, and that'll continue for some time, for sure. Um, but I think, uh, uh, Bill, looking, looking at it um, long, longer term, um, Cowan and Company, uh, the, the analysts, uh, uh, Jason Seidel, their managing director, is our is our Wall Street contributing editor. They they just published the results of their first quarter, 2020, shipper survey where where they query uh, uh, rail shippers about equipment acquisitions and also about uh, pricing, uh, you know, rates and and service and. Uh, um, just uh, to go over a couple of these numbers. Uh, in the next 12 months, uh, rail car, what will rail car orders look like? According to these, uh, according to the shippers that responded to the survey, uh, are they going to, are, are these shippers, of course, they know, most of them, they don't buy the equipment. They lease it from, uh, from, from the leasing companies, the leasing companies like the CITs and the GATXs, uh, uh, they, they, they purchase the equipment directly from the builders and lease it to the customers, at least it to the shippers. So in the fourth quarter of 2019, 29% of, of shippers said yes, in the next 12 months, they're gonna be acquiring new freight cars. And now it's a first quarter survey that went down to 25%. 49% fourth quarter of 2019 said that they were not going to purchase anything in the next 12 months. Now that number is up to 54%. The number that are saying we might, that's steady, 22%. So the outlook is, uh, it's a little bit, um, well, I, they say it's, Cowan says it's a declining expectations. And that has a lot to do with uh, um, business growth and, um, just just to backtrack a little bit, uh, interestingly, Bill, the uh, the types of equipment that uh, if if the if shippers are going to purchase equipment, um, last quarter they said fifteen percent we're going to purchase box cars. Now thirty seven percent say that that if they purchase equipment, it's going to be box cars, uh, hopper cars. Uh, covered hoppers uh, main, mainly for grain and uh, uh, plastics, but also for frac sand for uh, for extracting crude oil from the ground. Uh, that went down from 20% of purchases to 12%. Uh, tank cars uh, follows that down 24 down to 15% from 24%. Uh, containers for for intermodal service um, that's down to 12% from 17. Um, Auto racks. Nobody's purchasing auto racks. Of course, those are those are purchased by TTX and uh, uh, and and they're they're in pool service. 
um, those those carry those carry finished uh, finished automobiles, uh, finished motor vehicles, including trucks. Um, but their expectations of business growth, shippers over the next twelve months, uh, looking looking at the uh, uh, at the chart here uh, for this for for fourth quarter twenty nineteen. Uh, their uh, shipper expectations were for 2.4% business growth. That is down to 0.3% expected growth. So that's, of course, and that will directly impact. No, <laughs> that, will, that, will, uh, that will directly impact uh, uh, what um, uh, equipment uh, services, uh, rather uh, equipment um, purchases. Um, so last year, the culprit, I believe, or one of the culprits, I believe was precision schedule and railroading, you know, because uh, class ones were becoming much more efficient. Um, you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Am I wrong on that? Was was PSR part of the reason for the reduction in car loads last year? Um, I I think partially, partially. I think I think it had mostly to do with the economy, right? Uh, but but but. Yeah, but but partially because uh, uh, under PSR, uh, some of some of the railroads are being more selective in the type of, of, of service that they offer, and uh, if they're being that selective, they may not uh, accept uh, uh, traffic. They may be driving traffic away. So I, I know coming from the road side of the business. Uh, the road and bridge market was always the last to feel the effects of a recession or down economy and the last to recover. Mm -hmm. now, you've been covering the rail industry for 27 years. You know how it acts. I, I would assume that the rail industry feels the effects of a down economy almost immediately. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, the the ra ra uh, rail traffic figures are a leading indicator of uh, economic uh, activity. Uh, because because the railroads, for the most part, uh, a lot of most of their business is based on the raw materials uh, that are used for construction industry, for example. Uh, uh, now that's changing a little bit because because more and more traffic is uh, more and more rail traffic is going to the intermodal side, which is finished products, uh, consumer products. Uh, so the railroads are getting a little bit less consumer, uh, or rather a little bit more consumer heavy, uh, and and this is where they really need to really need to 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 uh, uh, to up their game if, if they want to compete in in that market space uh, with uh, uh, trucks. Now they, of course, uh, they they do the railroads do very well for the long haul, uh, partnering with truckers, the big the big truckers like J B Hunt, Schneider. Uh, UPS, uh, most of most of the most of the long long haul traffic moves on the rails. Um, uh, but yes, you are you are correct. They are the first to feel uh, when things are heading south. But a lot of a lot of economists though are saying that you know this recession or whatever you want to call it, it's been the market's been very volatile the last uh, last month or so. But if we do fall into a um, down market down economy, they say it's going to be rather short lived and the rebound could happen quickly. So that's, that could be a good thing. 
Uh, yeah, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure everybody would, uh, uh, would love to see that happen. Uh, you know, I, uh, the question is, uh, if there are seven, I think, uh, 17 million people have filed for unemployment benefits. Uh, yes, it's yeah. an astronomical number. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the question is how quickly will they get back to work and what businesses are going to be able to, to reopen, uh, you know, the, the president wants to uh, wants to restart the economy. Well, uh, you know, hold on there, folks. <laughs> it's uh, it's you can't you can't just go ahead and do that because then you could have another another wave uh, of the virus if this thing isn't really uh, fully contained or or as contained as much as possible. And let's also talk about capacity when these restaurants do reopen. Because my thought is is that this is the new normal. There's gonna be social distancing everywhere. So restaurants aren't gonna be able to pack the place. They're probably gonna have certain tables that are closed off so people can continue to demonstrate or practice social distancing. So even if restaurants and bars all open up, say it's at the start of May, you're not looking at the same type of business. True, and um, I think, uh, and I'm sure you would uh, you would uh, agree with me on this that uh, uh, in terms of delivering uh, supplies to restaurants, food, um, the the last mile of that, uh, if not the whole mile, a lot, much of that is handled by truck. Um, the railroads do handle a portion of of the of the food market uh again for mainly for raw materials grain and ag products and farm products but uh they do have a small and i wouldn't say insignificant but a small perishables business there is there are frozen foods and things that come out from the west coast from the farms uh they're transported in refrigerated trailers and of course the ultimate destination for those shipments is is uh, supermarket shelves or uh, or restaurants, uh, distributors. So, so I, I would say the, uh, the, the, the truckers are, are, are going are to uh, take a little bit longer to, re to recover uh, from that. This has all been so depressing, this whole segment here, this whole podcast, not very good news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, to our, our listeners, I wish we had better news. And, and uh, you know, there are there are bright spots out there because uh, there are our railroaders, our people out in the field are, are working diligently. Uh, they're um, uh, they are putting themselves at risk, even even though they and and their and the carriers are taking every precaution to to protect them and protect their protect the customers. Where there is a, a, a you know customer direct customer contact. Uh, uh, necessary, although that's not so. Uh, that, that's not as much. It's uh, so. You know, the fact is, is that our our railroads are doing the very best they can. Our railroaders, I should say, are, are both are doing the very best they can to uh, uh, to keep to keep whatever traffic is there to to keep it moving. And I, I do have a good story. Um, not necessarily a news story, but you know, throughout this whole pandemic. You know, we've been confined to our homes. You turn on the news and it's just bad, 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 you know, new cases. That's, it's, it's been very black out there. But I tell you what, as I've, I've told you this before, I live about a mile away from a class one uh, route. And every night at the same time, I hear that train horn blowing. And to me, 
that in itself is a very comforting sign. That tells me that yes, the trains are still moving, the economy is still moving despite all the problems out there. And that gives me every night, a, a you know, out of all the bad news that we covered, that gives me a, a glimmer of hope because the train horns are still blaring. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, yes, Bill, I think that for, for most, if not all of us in the industry, I think uh, uh, tra- uh, train horns are uh, blasting away in the middle of the night are, uh, are music to our ears. We want to keep hearing those. Yes. Uh, when I was in my previous uh, professional life, it was a smell of asphalt that, that was a good a sensory for me. <laughs> but now, now it's, it's shifted to train horns. So that's, that's good, that's good for you. <laughs> that's a good thing. Well, welcome aboard, as we like to say. <laughs> yeah. And there you have it, our latest episode in our special podcast series, The Coronavirus and the Rail Industry. I would like to thank William C. Vantuono, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age, for joining me. A lot of great stuff in this podcast. I know there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward, but we're all going to get through this. So on behalf of everyone at RTNS and Railway Age magazines, please stay safe, stay healthy, stay indoors, and I will see you down the line.